Hello, and welcome to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Monday, January 16th, 2023. I'm your reader, Catherine Moyers. It's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And the headline from today's paper is Local Self-Defense Studio Prioritizes Empowerment by Kaylee Reese. A Dubuque woman is using her kickboxing and self-defense classes to teach people in Dubuque to empower themselves. Erica Cook owns Empowermental, a studio at 2223 Keyway Drive that is in the same building as Three Willows Wellness Center. While she opened the studio in the summer of 2021, Cook is focused on continuing to grow and teach others the skills she found helpful in her own life. Technically, my interest in self-defense started back when my dad and my uncle got me involved in martial arts when I was in middle school, when I was getting severely bullied, she said. It was a little bit of self-defense and a little bit of a confidence booster. When she attended University of Dubuque in 2002, Cook began teaching self-defense classes to fellow students. After graduating, she continued teaching classes in people's garages and other community spots. Cook said she decided to open a studio after speaking about self-defense at an event in 2021. Now she teaches kickboxing and self-defense classes, and another instructor teaches Zumba and Payo, a mix of Pilates and yoga. I have taught people as young as six and as old as 70, Cook said, but the self-defense classes are broken up into age ranges just because a six-year-old can't do the same thing and needs to focus on different things than a 16-year-old does. In addition to the physical aspects of self-defense, Cook said she also teaches both the mental and vocal aspects. She also focuses on real-life situations, such as dealing with bullies or issues that might arise at parties. I enjoy it because I even refound my power that I had kind of forgotten I had, she said. I just loved the kids that I have and the adults and see see them realize that they do have that strength, even if somebody told them for years that they didn't. The next story is Dubuque Moms Start Esports League by Grace Neeland. While many parents might reprimand their kids for spending too much time playing video games, two local moms are looking to lean into the youthful hobby to teach teens and kids vital social and technical skills. Friends Susie Quinn and Shelby Wardick, both of Dubuque, started the nonprofit Dubuque Esports League in August after seeing the positive effects gaming was having on their sons. While their sons are less outgoing at school, Quinn and Wardick saw them come out of their shells once they donned their headsets and controllers. And we have so many friends and families who have kids in similar situations, Wardick said. There's been lots of kids who have been interested in gaming for years, and it's just a piece of the puzzle that the community hasn't filled. So we're like, well, why don't we do it? Esports, short for electronic sports, have taken off in recent years and refer to structured video game competitions at the team or individual level. While several local colleges have collegiate teams, options are more limited for middle and high school gamers. 
the nonprofit is working to raise $500,000 to help cover building and equipment costs to fix that. The nonprofit has signed a lease for a space at 3220 Dodge Street, and Wardick said the plan is to purchase 22 PCs and several other consoles to offer a wide variety of gaming opportunities. Once open, the league would hold four competitive seasons per year, with the game dependent on what players are most interested in or what's most popular at the time. There would be a per-season fee, although scholarships will be available for families who need them. There's traditional sports, there's traditional music programs and your typical acting programs, said Dubuque Esports League grant writer Angie Hertig. All this stuff exists in our community, but without esports, there's this gap, and these kids are falling through the cracks. This will prevent that. Wardick said esports can be a useful tool for helping teens and kids develop critical technology and vocational skills around science, technology, and math. In addition to competitive gaming, the plan is to host workshops around topics like basic coding, video game design, and how to build a PC. Even smaller manufacturers are needing to automate their systems to compete with large companies, and they're going to need kids with these skills to do it, Wardick said. Esports is kind of jump, a jumping-off point, and there's endless opportunities to sort of level our kids up. In addition to competitive play, the goal is to offer memberships for recreational gaming when competitions or practices are not taking place. There will be adaptive equipment for players with disabilities and a freak-out room where kids can go to cool off as needed and practice self-regulation techniques after a heated game. It's the same for any sport, like you see it with football players throwing their helmets or something, said Dubuque Esports League intern and Clark University Esports athlete Grace Polova. Those emotions are the same for video games, and you just need to learn how to manage it. Like traditional sports, Palova said that esports can also teach players about team building, strategizing, and communication. It can help with conflict resolution, too, as team members have to work together to overcome disagreements and excel as a group. You'll get stressed out. You'll have your ups and downs, but eventually you'll learn how to navigate things in a professional way, she said. The plan is to hold a soft opening for the Dodge Street location in May and start competitive play in the fall, giving the nonprofit time to work out any kinks and explore all available funding sources. Updated information will be posted on the nonprofit's website, which can be found at dubuquesportsleague.org. It's just going to be a really cool, safe, inclusive community, Wardick said. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways for these kids because some of them might struggle with personal or social skills. We want them to know that they can look at the screen, do their thing, and slowly gain those skills they need to succeed. And love that lasts a continuing series highlighting tri-state couples married for 50-plus years. And this one's titled Married 50 Years, Area Couple Builds Family of Friends by Michelle London. And the dateline is Durango, Iowa. 
In the 1960s, Dave Howe graduated from North Dakota State School of Science with an industrial drafting degree and immediately was recruited by Collins Radio, a Cedar Rapids, Iowa-based company that designed and produced radio equipment. Collins was recruiting a ton of graduates from my school, said Dave, now 76, of Durango. It was the height of the Vietnam War, and soon Dave was called for his draft physical. Taking advantage of a 120-day delayed enlistment being offered by the U.S. Air Force, Dave became an airman and served four years, one of those in Vietnam. After I got back, Collins had to hire me back because it was a government law at the time, he said. And that's when I met Karen. Karen Swizer, a Cedar Rapids native, was a secretary at Collins, and Dave noticed her right away. There were a bunch of old gals I worked with, he said. Karen was a secretary for some of the guys in the office, and you know, she's a good-looking young gal, so that's where it kind of started. Karen, also 76, said it was the things they had in common that piqued her interest. As we talked and got to know each other, I realized we liked a lot of the same things. She said, we had a lot of things in common, and we really just grew up together. Dave said Karen taught him a lot during their dating days, including important things such as how to tip servers. She also worked as a server at a hotel bar, and I wasn't a great tipper, he said. She taught me to tip well. The couple got engaged over the Christmas holiday in 1971, just as Dave got laid off at Collins Radio. He decided to head home to northern Minnesota to job hunt and help his mother after his father died. Then, a friend who had just started a new job at John Deere in Dubuque Works told Dave he should apply there. Dave returned to Iowa and got hired at John Deere. The couple married in Cedar Rapids on August 4, 1972, and soon began their new lives in Dubuque, where Karen also began work at John Deere as a secretary. The guy in personnel told us we wouldn't like Dubuque, she said. He said, you're not Catholic, you don't have children, you're not from here. But we're still here. We have made a very good life here. It's what you make of it, right? You don't wait for somebody to come and say, hey, I'd like to meet you. You go out and make it happen. Dave and Karen built their dream home overlooking a pastoral landscape of woods and valleys in Durango in 1981. We hope to be here for a lot more years, Dave said. Donna Kaukaski of Dubuque and her husband Bob have known the house since they first came to the area. One of my first jobs was working with Karen at Deer, she said. We played volleyball together. We've traveled together and done four-wheeling together. We're very good friends. Donna said Dave and Karen have a special bond. They're not real affectionate in public, but you can see how well they treat each other, she said. And while many couples without children might shy away from families with kids, for a number of reasons, Donna said the Howes are just the opposite. They've always loved to hang out with the kids, too, she said. They're interested in what the kids are doing and what's going on in their lives. In addition to their friends' children, nieces, and nephews in Wisconsin, Minnesota, South Dakota, and Iowa are an important part of Dave and Karen's life. We've always been close to them, Karen said. Traveling has always been something the Howes enjoy doing together, and they have made visits to Australia, New Zealand, Ireland, Norway, Sweden, Finland, 
Russia, Mexico, and Puerto Rico, to name a few places. As they have gotten older, it's been harder to convince Dave to leave home for long treks around the world, though Karen still is eager to explore more of it. But you have to plant that seed, Karen said. I bring it up every once in a while, and eventually he agrees. That's how I got him to go to Australia. Closer to home, they have enjoyed many years of skiing together at Sundown Mountain Resort and Chestnut Mountain Resort. Karen said Dave started skiing first. He'd come home from skiing, and he'd snuggle up to me, and he was very cold, she said. I either had to join him, or he was going to have to sleep in another room. Dave also played hockey and was a sh- has a shop where, in his words, I like to putter around. Karen enjoys quilting and belongs to a group that makes pieces for Quilts of Valor, which presents quilts to war veterans. The Cardless Card Club, a once-active card-playing club that has morphed into a once-in-a-while dinner out, is something the couple continues to do with longtime friends. They're such good friends, Donna said. They do anything for anybody. As for the key to their 50-year marriage, Dave had some pointed advice. Don't do everything together, he said. You have to have your own interests and go your separate ways once in a while. And Karen nodded. I would not have... It would not have worked for us. I don't think it would work for anybody to be together all the time, she said. During the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown, the house would turn on the TV at 5 p.m. to watch the news. Karen would get her glass of wine, Dave said. I'd get a couple of beers. It got to be too much. So we shut off the TV and took our wine and beer out on the front porch and looked at the beautiful view. Best thing we could have done. Karen said the change in their routine allowed them to talk to each other more and enjoy each other's company. We have discussions, she said, and of course that means I'm still planting that seed for us to travel more while we're still... We still can. And you know, you learn to pick your battles. Turning to page two, the Dubuque and Tri-State page. The story is Students Serve as Teachers During MLK Tribute Event by Eric Hogstrom. Ben Leach included several hearts in the color from Mobile he made to represent the work of Martin Luther King Jr., It's about love, kindness, and fairness, said Ben, a six-year-old first-grade student from Bryant Elementary School. You want to treat people how you want to be treated. Ben was among 38 students honored Sunday at a ceremony held by the Dubuque branch of the NAACP at St. Luke's United Methodist Church. Ben and other students had entered essays, artwork, poems, and online displays related to King or other figures or topics associated with the civil rights movement. Amira Williams, 10, a fourth grade student from Prescott Elementary School, created a poster detailing the life of Ruby Bridges, who, as a child, became the first black student at an all-white Louisiana elementary school in 1960. She changed the world by being brave, Amira said of Bridges. The ceremony was held in person after being presented virtually for two years due to pandemic-related concerns. Donna Lowen, one of the presenters and event organizers, said it was important to gather in person at this year's ceremony, which drew more than 100 people. Martin Luther King would have wanted it that way, she said. 
Dr. King thought that relationships form the basis of all promising prospects. A march from Jackson Park to St. Luke's preceded the ceremony. The march drew about 50 people. The local NAACP has sponsored the essay and art project in Dubuque's public and parochial schools since 1990. The essay and art project drew more than 250 entries this school year. I always look at this as an opportunity for adults to learn from youth, Lowen said. The students are our teachers today. Rowan Fry, 13, who is in 7th grade, from George Washington Middle School, created a poster celebrating the life and achievements of Thurgood Marshall, the first African-American justice on the U.S. Supreme Court. He was involved in the case that desegregated schools, Rowan said, of Marshall's role in the landmark 1954 decision of Brown v. Board of Education. Rowan's nine-year-old sister, Clara Fry, a third-grade student from Bryant, was honored for her project, celebrating Maya Angelou. I learned that she wrote poetry, said Clara Fry, who added that the research for her project was fun. Evie Davis, nine, another third-grade student from Bryant, also created a project based on the life of Bridges. She was a really big influence to kids, Evie said. Carter Collins, eight, also a third-grade student from Bryant, said he learned about King while working on his project and during the ceremony. Martin Luther King changed lives, Carter said. The whole world would be different without him. The next story is Senior Resource Center Connects Illinois Elderly by Joshua Irvine. For Northwest Illinois senior citizens, the Senior Resource Center is meant to ensure that support is only a phone call away. The Senior Resource Center is a care coordination unit in Joe Davies and Stevenson counties in Illinois, connecting residents aged 60 and older and residents who have disabilities with state-funded support and programs. While many of the agency's services are free for all seniors, Assistant Director Amanda Fair said that Senior Resource Center has a focus on low-asset residents. The agency's leading service is its community care program, which helps older residents maintain their independence as they age. Case managers meet clients in their homes to make a determination of need assessment. Resources available to Joe Davies County residents through community care include access to automated medication dispensers, emergency call buttons, and in-home assistance. The Illinois Department on Aging contracts with area providers to fulfill these services and funds them. We are the coordinators to make sure our clients are getting the service they need, said Case Management Supervisor Christine Gentry. The Senior Resource Center also administers the Department on Aging's Adult Protective Services Program, which addresses abuse, neglect, and exploitation of elderly residents. We can help in in situations where someone is being abused, self-neglecting, or being exploited financially, Fayer said. The agency's Information and Assistance Program, which Fair calls this center's front line, answers residents' questions and helps connect and sign them up for medical savings programs, health insurance counseling through the Senior Health Insurance Program, and the State Real Estate Tax Deferral Program, among others. 
Maybe they just need to get signed up or don't know how something works. We can answer their questions, Ferrer said. Really, any paperwork or forms anybody has questions about. The Senior Resource Center also has grant funding to cover prescription costs, dental bills, transportation to medical services, or just keeping up on one's utilities. The agency also administers the Illinois Benefit Access Program, which offers a discounted rate on license plate removal for persons with disabilities and residents 65 and older. Residents who meet the income restrictions, less than $33,562 for a single-person household as of 2020, pay only $10 for renewal. To each resident of the large and rural Joe Davies County, the agency sets up community outreach sites every month in towns across the county to meet clients in person, advertising the events in local publications. Regular meeting locations include the Stockton Library, the Old Stone Hotel in Warren, and the West Galena Township offices. The agency also coordinates with Joe Davies County Transit, to provide in-county medical rides to seniors age 60 and older. We want to make sure we're reaching everyone we can in Joe Davies County, Fairv said. Turning to the News in Brief column, the first story is February fundraising event to support honor flight trips. A Dubuque event next month will raise money to support trips by local military veterans to visit memorials in Washington, D.C. On the Deck for a Vet is scheduled to be held from 1 to 5 p.m. February 18th at Catfish Charlie's, 1630 East 16th Street, according to a press release. The event will take place outdoors with lights and outdoor heaters. Tickets are $50 and include a full buffet, two drink tickets, unlimited hot cocoa, live music, a raffle, and silent auction. All proceeds benefit Honor Flight of Dubuque and the Tri-States. Tickets are available at Radio Dubuque, 1055 University Avenue, and Catfish Charlie's. Call 563-690-0800 for more information. The next story is Top 10 Most Read Stories. An article about the planned expansion of a Dubuque coffee shop was the most read story of the past week on TelegraphHerald.com. Here are the 10 most read stories on the website from January 9th to Sunday. Number one, BizBuzz, Dubuque coffee shop plans second site. East Dubuque bar closes. Carnivillo Childcare expands. Two, authorities ID two killed in head-on crash in Galena. 3. Police. Monticello man fatally shoots intruder. 4. Police. Two arrested in April. Robbery at gunpoint in Dubuque. 5. Dubuque eatery closed until further notice. 6. With industry booming Southwest Wisconsin Pinball Company to double building space. 7. Authorities. Driver dies in interstate crash into Dubuque man semi. 8. Cuba City Auto Auction reaches end of road after 70-plus years. 9. Driver ejected, dies in rollover crash in Lafayette County. 10. 
packaging malfunction leads to more than 1,000 pounds of chicken donations in Dubuque. And then the police, the Dubuque police and Dubuque County Sheriff's Departments reported. Timothy P. McCarthy, 48, of Cascade, Iowa, was arrested at 8.29 p.m. Saturday at Dubuque Law Enforcement Center on a warrant charging second-degree theft. Jill D. Garcia, 35, of 740 Boyer Street, was arrested at 6.15 p.m. Saturday at her residence on a charge of domestic assault with injury. And Shannon R. Spruill, 30, of 1155 Savannah Drive, was arrested at 5.30 a.m. Saturday at Dubuque Law Enforcement Center on warrants charging voluntary absence from custody and four counts of probation violation. Court documents state that Spruill did not return to the State Correctional Facility at 1494 Elm Street on August 30th. Turning to the Tri-State page, there's a column titled, Ask the Telegraph Herald, by Allie Hinga. Question. Why did the city of Dubuque discontinue its snowplow progress map? It was a great resource for residents. Are there plans to bring it back? Answer. The city's snowplow progress map has not been available this winter because of a change in vendors, though officials seek to bring it back next winter. Public Works Director John Klosterman said the map went offline as the city switched to a new vendor for automated vehicle location equipment, which allows the city to track data on its plows, such as de-icer application rates, salt usage, and plow speeds. While the city still cannot access data on its plows, the vendor was not ready to move forward with a public-facing snowplow progress map for this winter. Klosterman said the map previously showed residents where plows had been in the past hour, three hours, and 24 hours. Once they're ready, we'll get that back up and going again, he said. Klosterman said he did not see the map becoming available this season, but city staff members have a goal to make it available again for next winter. We don't call every snowstorm an emergency, but it affects everybody's driving, Klosterman said. I think it's good information for drivers to know. Question. I just installed new license plates on my vehicle. What's the best way to dispose of the old ones to avoid them being used by someone else? Answer. In Iowa, residents can dispose of old license plates via their county treasurer's office. State Administrative Code outlines a process by which county treasurers return plates that are surrendered to them to Iowa Department of Transportation via Iowa Prison Industries so they can be recycled. They can bring their plates down to us if they're no longer needed for disposal, said Dubuque County Treasurer Michael Clayson. Illinois residents who want to dispose of old license plates can bring them to their local driver service facility operated by the Secretary of State's office. The facilities have tamper-proof bins to take license plates, which then are recycled so any information on the plate that would identify an owner is destroyed. Harry Haupt, spokesperson for Illinois Secretary of State's office, said officials strongly suggest that people not throw away old license plates. Another individual can fetch those plates out of the trash 
affix them on their vehicles, and if they committed any form of violation or crime, law enforcement would associate it with that license plate, he said. In Wisconsin, drivers are advised to cut up their old plates. The State Division of Motor Vehicles recommends that customers not leave license plates on vehicles when they sell or dispose of those vehicles or get new plates. Customers who left their plates on a vehicle and are concerned can complete an application to have their plates canceled. You are listening to a reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Monday, January 16, 2023 on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Next, we'll turn to today's obituaries. Terry Routley, Round Rock, Texas. Known by her warm and loving smile, Terry Lee Sanderson Routley was a person who could make friends with a bear. Anyone Terry met never remained a stranger. Terry Routley left this world early Wednesday morning on December 7, 2022. The world feels empty without her presence and the joy she exuded but Terry left a legacy of loving many and sharing the love of God with them. A celebration of life service will be held for Terry in Dubuque on January 21, 2023 at 1 p.m., a reception to follow. Hope Church, 11893 John F. Kennedy Road, Dubuque, Iowa, 52001. Please join us in celebrating the life of this amazing woman, Terry Routley. Shirley Wagner. Shirley K. Wagner, 82, of Dubuque, passed away Saturday, January 14, 2023, at home. Visitation will be from 3 to 7 p.m. Tuesday, January 17, at Echelhoff Siegert and Casper Funeral Home and Crematory, 2659 John F. Kennedy Road, Dubuque. Services will be at 10.30 a.m. Wednesday, January 18, at Echelhoff Siegert and Casper Funeral Home. The Reverend Crystal Dunlap Weber will officiate. Interment will be in Asbury Cemetery. Carl W. Burcham, Princeton, Illinois. Carl William Bill Burcham, 79, of Princeton, Illinois, and formerly of East Dubuque, Illinois, died Wednesday, January 4, 2023, at 1.15 p.m. at OSF Heart of Mary Medical Center in Urbana, Illinois, due to respiratory and cardiac failure. Carl's wishes were to be cremated with no service. However, there will be a celebration of life in June of 2023 on a day close to his 80th birthday. Jan Halden, Galena, Illinois. Jan Halden, 74, of Galena, formerly of Collinsville, died on Thursday, January 12, 2023. Arrangements are pending. Furlong Funeral Chapel in Galena is assisting the family. Laura L. Kratz, Bartlett, Illinois. Laura Lee Kratz, 53, of Bartlett, Illinois, passed away on January 9, 2023, at her home, surrounded by her family, after a long battle with cancer. Countryside Funeral Home of Bartlett is assisting the family. 
there w- will be a celebration of Laura's life in Iowa on the 28th of January at Calm's Restaurant in St. Donatus from 12 to 5 p.m. with a luncheon buffet around 2. We will have a photo share board at both locations. So if you have a special photo of Laura that you would like to share with us, please bring a copy and we'll post it. We would love to see them. Mark McGovern, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Father Mark McGovern, age 81, of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, died Wednesday, January 11, 2023, at Stonehill Communities in Dubuque, Iowa. Mass of Christian Burial will be at 11 a.m. Friday, January 27, 2023, at Immaculate Conception Catholic Church in Riceville, Iowa, with Archbishop Michael Jackals presiding, and Father Daniel Knipper will be the homilist. Burial will be in Calvary Cemetery in Riceville, Iowa. Visitation will be held from 5 to 7 p.m. Thursday, January 26, at Hint Hudick Funeral Home, with a scripture wake service at 7 p.m. Visitation will continue on Friday at the church, beginning at 10 a.m. Turning to funeral services. Joyce B. Amon, Dubuque. Visitation 3 to 7 p.m. today with a wake service at 3 p.m. Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory, 2595 Rockdale Road. Massive Christian Burial, 10.30 a.m. Tuesday, January 17th, Sacred Heart Church. Mary A. Alamond, Scotch Grove, Iowa. Massive Christian Burial, 10.30 a.m. Tuesday, January 17th, St. Patrick Catholic Church, Anamosa. Shirley A. Allen, Piasta, Iowa. Massive Christian Burial, 10 a.m. Friday, January 20th, St. Joseph the Worker, Catholic Church. Vivian A. Allendorf, Shellsburg, Wisconsin. Rosary Service, 345 to 4 p.m. today, Erickson Funeral Home, Shellsburg. Visitation, 4 to 8 p.m. today at the Funeral Home, and from 10 to 1045 a.m. Tuesday, January 17th, St. Matthew's Catholic Church Gymnasium. Shellsburg. Massive Christian Burial, 11 a.m. Tuesday at the Gymnasium. Mark P. Brown, Woodman, Wisconsin. Visitation, 10 a.m. to noon, Thursday, January 19th, Basketball Bowl and Banquet. Michael J. Burr, Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin. Visitation, 4 to 7 p.m. Thursday, January 19th, Garrity Funeral Home Chapel, Prairie du Chien. Bonnie M. DeSotel, Dyersville, Iowa. Visitation 9.30 to 11 a.m. Tuesday, January 17th at St. Boniface Catholic Church, New Vienna. Massive Christian burial at 11 a.m. Tuesday at the church. John J. Krogman, Cascade, Iowa. Visitation 9 to 10 a.m. today, Rife Funeral Home, Cascade. Massive Christian Burial at 10.30 a.m. today, Sacred Heart Catholic Church, Fillmore. Luciano A. Mendez Rodriguez, Cuba City, Wisconsin. Visitation 4 to 8 p.m. Thursday, January 19th, from 9 to 11 a.m. Friday, January 20th, Howden Shield Funeral Home and Cremation Service, Cuba City. Service at 11 a.m. Friday at the Funeral Home. Joyce E. Mester, Belmont, Wisconsin. 
Visitation, 9.30 to 11 a.m. today at Peace Lutheran Church, Belmont. Service, 11 a.m. today at the church. Franklin W. Miller, Jr., Dubuque. Visitation from 11 a.m. to noon, Tuesday, January 17th at St. Luke's Methodist Church. Service at noon, Tuesday at the church. Paul G. Pechos, Dubuque. Visitation, 9 to 11 a.m. Saturday, January 21st, St. Raphael Cathedral, Mass of Christian Burial, at 11 a.m. Saturday at the church. Marie M. Robbins, Galena, Illinois. Visitation, 10 to 10.45 a.m. Wednesday, January 18th, St. Rose of Lima Catholic Church, Cuba City, Wisconsin. Mass of Christian Burial at 11 a.m. Wednesday at the church. Turning to the sports page, we'll turn to a story about the United States Hockey League and the Dubuque Fighting Saints. And the title is Weekend Sweep Health Saints Regain Swagger by Jim Leitner. Every team hits a bit of a funk at some point during the course of a 62-game United States Hockey League season, and the Dubuque Fighting Saints appear to have worked their way out of a rough one. Jake Sandriel scored with 46 seconds remaining in overtime on Saturday night to give the Saints a 4-3 victory at Cedar Rapids. Dubuque, which went just 1-6 and six between December 10th and January 6th, won its third consecutive game and second in as many nights against its Dupaco Cowbell Cup rival. We might have gone on a little skid, but we know what we have in our locker room, said team leading scorer Ryan St. Louis, who contributed three goals and one assist in the weekend sweep. It's great to see that we know how to respond to adversity. We've been playing with more confidence the last two weekends. We've gotten back to our game plan. All around, we're playing stronger, playing harder, and playing faster. Obviously, we've been rewarded for it with a really good weekend. The Saints, 15-12-1-1 and overall, improved to a 7-2-0 for 14 points in the Cowbell Cup Series to take a two-point lead on second-place Cedar Rapids in the four-team competition that also includes Waterloo and Des Moines. This weekend was huge, Sandriel said. It moved us back up into a playoff spot, and it was for Cowbell Cup points, and we want to win both. Our Compete level was really high, and we came in ready to play both nights. Cedar Rapids controlled the early minutes of overtime, but goalie Marcus Brandman made four key saves to go along with a handful of shot blocks in front of him to keep the Saints in it. On the winning goal, Sandriel lost a faceoff in the Rough Riders zone, but defensiveman Max Burkholder prevented a clearing attempt at the blue line and fed James Reeder, who circled in the zone, and rifled a shot. Goalie Bruno Bruveras made the initial save, but Sandriel gathered the rebound below the left face-off circle and snapped a wrist shot into the top right corner of the net for his fourth goal of the season. It's definitely a gut check in overtime to stick around and then win it when you haven't been dominating, Sandriel said. At the end of the day, we made some big blocks. Marcus came up big, and we got a bounce to go our way. Max made a great play to get it to Reader, and he made a great read to see that I beat my guy to the net front. 
He threw it to an area where I could get a rebound. I picked it up and made sure it went over to him. Jacob Kraft capitalized on the game's first power play to give Cedar Rapids an early lead at the 9 minute and 59 second mark of the opening period. Dubuque nodded the score at 1-1 just 3 minutes and 57 seconds later on Lucas St. Louis's second goal of the season. Ryan St. Louis carried into the Cedar Rapids zone along with right wing and left a drop pass to Mikey Burchill who quickly made a cross-ice pass. Lucas St. Louis hit a wide-open net with Bruveras facing traffic near his goal crease. The Rough Riders regained the lead just 66 seconds into the middle period on Dominic Elliott's third goal of the season. Dubuque needed only 3 minutes and 35 seconds to tie the game a second time. Cole Helms's shot from the right wing missed the net, and Jaden Jub. Jubinville corralled the rebound at the left point. Jubinville wired a shot that eluded screens by Helm and James Reeder for his second goal of the season. We just had to keep it simple and play our game instead of chasing, and we got huge contributions from a bunch of different guys tonight, Jubinville said. We've been playing a lot better the last couple of weekends, and that's giving us a lot more confidence. It felt good to get the two points and sweep the weekend. After Jubinville's goal, Saints coach Kirk McDonald felt his team dominated the rest of regulation other than a few short lapses. We've struggled with playing from behind this season, but to come back twice on them in front of a sold-out crowd in a building where they always play well was awesome, McDonald said. We didn't panic when we fell behind. We weren't trying to get everything back in one shift. You can tell we're starting to feel good about ourselves again. We're playing with confidence again. What I really liked was we were really detailed all weekend long and made a lot of great decisions in managing the game. You didn't see a lot of odd man rushes going against us. The Saints took their first lead of the game with only uh, 0.5 seconds to play in the middle period by capitalizing on a three-on-two rush. Braden Morrison carried into the Cedar Rapids zone and moved the puck to Will Starring, who made a touch pass to a streaking Ryan St. Louis on the right wing. Kraft hooked St. Louis from behind, prompting a delayed penalty call from referee Kyle Bauman. But St. Louis collided with Bruveras, the puck crossed the goal line, and the goal counted because Kraft initiated the contact. Before I knew it, I was on the ground, and somehow the puck was in the net, Ryan St. Louis said of his 12th goal of the season. No clue how it went in. It was an interesting way of scoring, but it came at a good time for us. Cedar Rapids captain Andy Moore tied the game 3-3 three and three with a quick shot following a fortunate bounce at the 6-minute and 27 mark of the third period. Cedar Rapids finished with a 33-29 edge in shots on goal. The Rough Riders went 1-for-3 on the power play, and Dubuque didn't capitalize on either of its man advantages. Turning to college basketball, Iowa 81, Maryland 67. Perkins lifts Iowa past Terps. Dateline, Iowa City. Tony Perkins scored a career-high 
22 points on 10 of 13 shooting. Chris Murray made 8 of 15 from the field and finished with 19 points, and Iowa won its fourth consecutive game Sunday, shooting a season-high 60% from the field in an 81-67 win over Maryland. Aaron Eulis hit a jumper to give Iowa the, its first lead at 6-4, and four, and the Terrapins trailed the rest of the way. Perkins scored five points, and Peyton Sanford added four in a 9-2 and two spurt that made it 19-10 with nine minutes left in the first half, and the Hawkeyes hit three-pointers in a 15-3 run that stretched the lead to, about 16, to 16 points about six minutes later. Iowa is averaging 85.3 points during its win streak that began with a 91 to 89 victory at number 15 Indiana. The most points the Hoosiers had allowed since a 112 to 110 loss to Syracuse on November 30th, 2021, in which the Hawkeyes trailed by 21 points about 7 minutes into the game. Jameer Young led Maryland with 20 points. Donta Scott added 15 and 11 rebounds, and Julian Reese scored 10. Sanford and Connor McCaffrey scored 12 points apiece for Iowa. Maryland returns home to take on Michigan on Thursday. Iowa wraps up a three-game homestand on Wednesday against Northwestern. And the National Football League, Giants 31, Vikings 24. And the title is Vikings Tripped Again by Dave Campbell, Dateline, Minneapolis. Daniel Jones passed for 301 yards and two touchdowns and ran for 78 yards in his first career playoff game for the New York Giants, a 31-24 victory over Minnesota in the wild card round that gave the Vikings their first loss in 12 one-score games this season. Saquon Barkley rushed for two scores, including the tiebreaker midway through the fourth quarter. The defense finished off the franchise's first playoff win since the Super Bowl 11 years ago by swarming tight end T.J. Hawkinson after a three-yard catch on a pass from Kirk Cousins at midfield on fourth and eight to force a turnover on downs with one minute and 44 seconds to go and no timeouts left for the Vikings. Jones became the first quarterback in NFL history to hit these thresholds in a postseason game. 300-plus passing yards, 2-plus passing touchdowns, and 70-plus rushing yards. I'm impressed. I'm not shocked because he's been doing it all year. He's really been balling, said Barkley, who had 109 total yards on only 14 touches. He's a special player. This is where you can create your legacy in the playoffs, and what a way to start it off. First-year head coach Brian DeBolis, excuse me, DeBolis, team advanced to play number one seed and NFC East rival Philadelphia in the divisional round next weekend. I think we've had some of our better games recently and found some stuff that works for us, said Jones, who had touchdown passes to Isaiah Hodgins and Daniel Bellinger. So we'll keep doing it. I thought the coaching staff did a great job having us prepared. Cousins went 31 for 39 for 273 yards and two scores and a rushing touchdown to cap the game's opening possession. The two-short throw to Hawkinson, his one glaring mistake. 
Justin Jefferson, the NFL's leading receiver, had only one catch after halftime and finished with 47 yards. This is probably the toughest loss of my career, said Cousins, who had by far the best record of his 11 years in the league. The NFC North champion Vikings play stayed on brand by facing 10-point deficits late in the second quarter and again early in the third quarter. Cousins, who delivered all kinds of on-target throws as he was knocked to the turf by the blitz-fueled Giants defense, hit Irv Smith Jr. for a short touchdown pass that brought the Vikings within three at 24-21. to Then a funny thing happened. The defense got a stop. Daniel Hunter's sack forced the first Giants punt, and the Vikings went the other way for the tying field goal. They left behind some crucial points, though. When Cousins ran successful sneak-on fourth and one at the 15, that was negated by a false start on left tackle Christian Derrissaw. Jones converted a penalty-free fourth and one sneak on the next drive for the Giants. Barkley chugged into the end zone for the lead with 7 minutes and 47 seconds to go. The Giants and Vikings were among seven teams in the playoffs that missed out last season, a six-year absence for the Giants that ended with their 9-7-1 finish under DeBowell to grab a wild-card spot. Vikings coach Kevin O'Connell was a first-timer on the job, too, directing a 13-4 and division champion team that in an NFL season with a record number of close margins and comeback wins, set an all-time mark by going 11-0 in one-score games. That's it for the sports section, and we'll turn to the Tri-State page. And the title of this story is Dyersville Student Lands in Paraguay in Hopes of Immersive Experience by Aaron LaBelle. Dateline, Dyersville, Iowa. Gertie Wall completed high school and landed in Paraguay the very same day. On Friday, January 13th, the Dyersville resident graduated from Iowa Virtual Academy and began life as a foreign exchange student, an adventure she had been eager to start. With the goal of second language fluency, her time in the small, landlocked South American country will be an immersive experience. She regularly studied Spanish through Iowa Virtual Academy. The decision to step away from her large public school during senior year, made by Wall and her parents, Heidi and Jason, allowed her to complete high school early and open the final semester for travel. It was a bittersweet choice for Wall, who recognizes she will miss some of the senior milestones like prom and graduation, but she hopes to experience something similar at the private school she will attend in Paraguay. Wall's family has hosted exchange students from Spain, Denmark, and Vietnam. When she was 12, they visited a former exchange student in Denmark. The Wall household is a place where inclusivity and hospitality are prioritized, where her mother keeps the house full of people. Wall has grown up surrounded by foster children and adopted sibling, exchange students, and others who have needed a short-time place to call home. At 17, Wall's mother, Heidi, studied as an exchange student in Brazil. Having also graduated from high school early, she opted to learn by experiencing an entirely new culture. She found it to be 
eye-opening because people live differently than you. Heidi remembers returning home with an understanding of the world that it is so much bigger than where you come from. She had hoped all her children would choose to experience the world this way, but feels her youngest is the one with the personality and wherewithal to make it happen. Wall and her parents started thinking about the possibility of studying abroad halfway through her junior year. It was during the pandemic, so choices were limited because of the COVID-19 restrictions. Many exchange programs required students to still be enrolled in high school and under the age of 18, so it became even more challenging to find a match for Wall, who didn't meet both requirements. Youth for Understanding was the first to respond and also the one option offering a Spanish immersion experience, so the Walls felt they had found a perfect fit. An online description of the nonprofit international organization said that it offers a wide range of opportunities to see the world up close. The Global Youth for Understanding Network is united by the belief that curiosity about the world expands cultural awareness and acceptance of other ways to live, which leads to broader perspective and greater understanding. After being interviewed by the staff members, Wall was matched with a host family from Concepcion, a large city in northern Paraguay. She connected with the oldest daughter on Instagram and already feels they have much in common. Both families have three biological children, a German shepherd, and two cats. Students in the program were encouraged to pack light, something Wall found difficult to do. Making clothing choices and saving money are the two greatest challenges Wall has encountered so far. Waiting tables at the Ritz in Dyersville since May helped Wall move closer to the $2,500 suggested for expenses. Before leaving, Wall said she felt ready to take the leap. I don't get nervous until things actually hit me. It doesn't feel real, but it will feel real on the plane ride. Wall was to spend 13 hours traveling between Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and Paraguay with three flights carrying her into a completely new experience. Sitting at the family's kitchen table with her mother, reflecting on the past year, and discussing what still needs to be done, Wall reminded herself about the important task of retrieving her passport from the family's safe. Returning in early June, Wall will apply to the University of Iowa, although she's already been accepted to Wartburg. She plans to double major in law and Spanish at one of the two universities next fall. Join Wall's adventures in Paraguay by connecting with Gertie Wall on Instagram. And that does it for today's reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Monday, January 16th, 2023. I'm your reader, Catherine Moyers. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, anytime. Thank you for listening.